This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, horse people. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 13th, 2018, episode 2076, brought to you today by Horseware. Well, Mary Kitzmiller wasn't able to make it in this morning, but she didn't want anyone to miss out on all the fun and frivolity of training day. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Hit'em Audio Vaults. What is your favorite day of the week? never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday morning. It is Training Thursday with Mary Kitzmiller. Mary's here the second Thursday of every month to answer your questions about training horses. And uh, we're glad to have you back, Mary. Thank you. Okay, I have to explain what went on with that little opener there. I uh-huh. was uh, I was just reading the episode number and everything, and I stumbled across the date is October 12th. And as I was reading, I realized, wait, today is Thursday. So that means tomorrow is October 13th, which means it's on a Friday in October. And so I just <laughs> had this like mind-blowing realization while my mouth was moving. And so that's why I stumbled a little so bit. So Halloween <laughs> just jumped in there and gotcha. <laughs> Yep, yep. Unlucky just a little bit early. Yeah, well, you know, before the show started, to be fair to Mary, we were talking about the four horses of the apocalypse. Uh, So, you know, that jumped in there, too, probably. As Uh, we are wont to do in normal conversations. (laughs) Probably not the best thing to talk about right before we start a show. Well, and we were talking about that because of the terrible things happening out in California. Boy, uh, you know, they just evacuated another town of 5,000 people. So many homes are lost and businesses and uh, the vineyards. And it's just just a terrible situation that does not seem to be getting any better. Yeah, you know, um, I, I was just up in Washington, and that was a concern driving up there. They had a bunch of wildfires going on, and, um, you know, we've had them in Montana and, and Texas, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit crazy out there. One thing I have been watching is Facebook uh, out of California, the various groups that are out there as far as the horse people are concerned. Boy, the horse people are coming together. If there's a call out for a trailer, 10 show up. Uh, to move horses out of the situation, and I've just been heartened to see the response from horse people helping each other out in California. That's been nice to see, and hopefully that's saved a lot of horses. Um, it's a tough situation, and a lot, you know, yeah, a lot of, you know, I saw a call yesterday for 50 horses to be moved. Well, nobody has a trailer for 50, right? So, you know, nobody wants to make the decision, which six horses do I move in a trailer and which, you know, 40-some do I leave behind? And, and apparently a whole bunch of people showed up. So let's hope they got them out. Oh, that's good. I, I'm uh, i very lucky never to have had to do anything like that, knock on 
cotton wood. But yes, we would we would be in a bit of a bind if if we had. Yeah, because for those that don't know, uh, we've had this running joke with Mary that we ask her every single month. She's been on for years. How many horses she has, and she doesn't have any idea. So once you don't have any idea, you're you're into crazy collector territory. Just saying. I would need an arc, you know, <laughs> roughly about that size, if I needed to evacuate. Well, the the most and I could probably with my animals. Well, oh no, I don't have any studs. I was like, I have enough variety. I can repopulate the earth if, if it ever came to that. I need I need a few less gelding, a few more studs though for that to for that to work. Doesn't everybody? So if you <laughs> so and you have the most interesting goat in the world, the goat would just ride out on the golf cart, which seems to be his favorite place anyway. Yes, that is his home base, um, and he's getting a little big for it. Uh, I'm going to need to get him a couch or something or a but, diet. Um, that's that's what he does all day. Is he sleeps in our? It's it's not even a, a golf cart. It's bigger. It's a Kawasaki mule. It's a, <laughs> it's a very expensive piece of machinery that is that is just really a glorified goat bed, and uh, he gets really put out if you need, need to drive it to do chores. Um, he, he gets upset. That's he gets funny. really mad. Normally, I have it in an overhang, so it's under shade all day. So that's one of the reasons he loves it, especially this summer. But nor- sometimes we'll have it out because we're doing chores and it's in the sun, and he gets very upset if he has to sleep in that thing in the sun because it's too warm. Now, does he have his own uh, Facebook page? You know, I started one. Uh, I didn't keep up with it, but I post on my personal page all the time. And I tell you what, um, nothing boosts your confidence as a world-renowned horse trainer is when you go to events and the first thing people ask you is, did you bring the goat? Where'd you go? Oh, my God, I just love your goat. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. I'm pretty cool, too. You know. Don't you love when your animals are more popular than you? I kind of have Scooter over here yeah. who everybody comes to see. Nobody comes to see us. They always come to see the pony. Oh, yeah. 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 People don't understand the logistics of me bringing the goat places. First of all, he would not degrade himself by hauling like mere livestock in horse trailer. But he's also not potty trained. So it, it's a logistical problem. And, and he doesn't, he's not halter broken anyway. He just, he goes where where he wants to and and he he outweighs me by quite a bit now all right let's uh let on today's show we have a whole bunch of training tips we're going to get to those in just a minute we had a bunch of listener questions that you're going to answer we have one of our auditors coming on with us courtney who's going to talk to you in person about one of her questions we also have a Robert Hartley, who's president of the American Stock Horse Association. He'll be coming on at 10 o'clock. We're going to talk to him as well. So all of that coming up on today's show. Now, you had a Mustang makeover that we were supposed to be watching you at, uh, but then Irma got in the way and our trip got canceled. So how did it go at the Mustang makeover in Fort Worth? And which horse, remind everybody what horse you brought. So I brought my little bay Mustang, Ruby. Um, she's the first mare I've had in a while that I've competed with. And uh, it went pretty well. It was bittersweet because despite placing in the top 10 in two of our classes, because we bombed our first class so bad, we did not what happened? make finals. Well, <laughs> Ruby's always had an issue about loading in trailers. Um, probably the worst trailer loading Mustang I've ever had. Like, just she's very much like having an obstinate mule when it comes to trailers if she doesn't want to go in 
It's not happening. So I I got her got her through it. She was loading up great and um got to the makeover. And normally, well, when I used to do it in the past, they would haul the trailer in the warm up pen at night because loading is one of the things, off. right? You have to do. Yes, yeah. this was the handling and conditioning class was our first class. So it's an in-hand class. You have to lead them into the round pen, turn them loose, catch them again, and do a little pattern, like take them to a barrel and brush them, and then lead them over here and back them up and pick up their feet and then jump them in a trailer. Um, so, you know, easy enough. Uh, and I knew Ruby was going to have really big t- trouble with a random trailer in an arena that she was already kind of nervous about. Um, and I was sort of counting on them having the trailer. They usually, like I said, pull it in the warm-up pen night before. We can jump our horses in and out, make sure they're good. Well, they didn't do that this time. So I knew that it was – I knew we were going to have a big problem um, getting in the trailer. Like she probably wasn't going to go in. Um, so that's no big deal uh, because there's other elements that you can make up for. But um, a very first for me in a very long time, I got – flustered and totally forgot an element in my pattern um ruby saw the trailer from like 50 yards away and was already balking balking like wouldn't wouldn't move forward i couldn't get her to trot in hand with me in one of the elements of the pattern like it was just a mess and normally i can just get through it and say okay we're gonna show what we show and walk out and i completely forgot to back her up so we were like that's not like you you competed and rode to the horse twice I know. I have a song for that, Mary. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Oh, no. I don't want to be that girl. girl, girl, (laughs) (laughs) You were that girl. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It was so embarrassing. Um, But uh, so we were really, really, really low. And um, the competition was very, very good this year. Um, So despite that, I knew getting into the finals was going to be a miracle because my score was so bad. Um, But then she went in the next class and placed third. So that was amazing. And then she went in the next class and placed sixth and was only in both those classes. She was only a point to two points off of the lead. So she showed Really, really well. I was really proud of her. Um, and uh, we didn't make the finals, but we watched them and they were amazing. So uh, I did bring her home. Uh, I bought her in the auction because oh, you did? she yeah. did play. So, yeah, I won actually enough money to buy her back for what she went for in the auction. Oh, wow. so I won $2,000. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought her back. Uh, I think I only had to pay a hundred bucks. Um uh, with the difference between what I won and what she went for at auction. So she's home, the little stinker, and uh, we're I'm going to keep going with her. Good. Do you have, are you going to compete her or are you gonna, what are you going to do with her? Yeah, I think I want to do, uh, I actually will be talking with uh, the director, the president of one of the events that I want to do with her. Uh, so stock horse type events so like ranch riding and cow work and raining um so i you know she's just a good stocky little mustang and i think with some more time she's going to be an amazing little fun horse to play around with very cool well i'm sorry we got we missed it we didn't get to see you there we were so looking forward to that um then also you were just got back from your annual trip to the central washington state fair you were you were working up there with some horses and doing demonstrations 
Yeah. So poor Ruby. I loaded her. I did not even go home after the makeover. I loaded her up and another Mustang I own, Rooster, and just went straight to the fair um, and uh, worked those two horses in demos and worked with a couple of other horses. So this uh, this is kind of one of the weirdest, coolest, funnest events that I do. I got hired to do it a couple of years ago. This was my third year. And um it is horse training in the midway of a state fair. So it's like deep fried Twinkies. It's you and funnel cakes. Ferris wheel <laughs> and me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I'm starting colts. I'm, you know, working with different horses, different things. I'm showing, you know, Rooster's my little Liberty extraordinaire horse. So I'm showing his new tricks and he was really fun. And um, so, yeah, I did that for 10 days. And uh, you got I'm to meet some auditors just, too, right? Some of our listeners. I did. I did. Um, so, yeah, we had uh, Karina, Rachel and Megan who were all there. And I met two of them and it was really fun and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. There's auditors all over the place. Good. Very good. Well, that's cool. I'm glad you got to got to meet some of the listeners. Well, now our training tip of the month. What are we talking about? Um, okay. So I'm refreshing my memory on this training tip. So uh, I'm talking about uh, to know what you're looking for when you train a horse. Like know what you're asking the horse to do. And that seems really, really simple, but it's something that I even have to remind myself to do. Um, and what I mean by that is we tend to get bogged down in either what our horse is not doing, like he's not getting on the trailer or he's not picking up his left lead. And or, or we get um we get overcomplicated with what we want. We want our horse to pick up the left lead and we want him to be collected and he needs to keep his shoulder up with his, his hip pushed in and he needs to stay soft in the bridle. Oh, and he has to do it in one to three strides. And so when the horse doesn't do it for us or we have problems getting it to happen, it's really hard to find out where the breakdown in communication is occurring. So what helps me out, and I learned this through clicker training, is pick one or two criteria that you're training for and work on one thing at a time and, and build on it. And I've touched on this quite a bit before, but it's something that I just constantly need to remind myself to do. So, um, for instance, if I'm trained, cause we had a few questions about lead departures from the auditors. Um, so if I'm training a lead departure, um, I'm going to start pretty simple. So sometimes I have the finished product in my mind, which is the horse is all collected and he's soft and he picks it right up from a walk or even a halt in a couple strides. Well, when you're first starting that, or if you have a problem with your canter departures, um, you've, you, you know, that's, that's too much. That's like eight or nine pieces of criteria that you're looking for. Um, and so if your horse doesn't know that yet, you need to start with one thing. So, my first thing is, um, can you pick up the canter out of a trot? And, and if it's a colt that's never, um, never been ridden before, I don't care what lead even. I just, I'll ask them to trot and see how easily I can roll them into a canter. And I'll do that several times until it's really good, until the horse isn't bolting or bucking or spooking or doing anything like that. It's just a smooth trot to canter. Don't even care what direction we're going. I don't care what lead. So that's that's our first criteria that we're going to get. I'm going to get that consistently till it's just nice and smooth. And then I'll start thinking about 
okay, what lead do I want my horse to be on? And so if it's a colt that doesn't really have any body control, I'll just set it up to where, you know, as he's trotting around, you can kind of feel how the horse is shaping himself and where he's leaning. And you can, you can make a good guess about what lead he's going to pick up if you're, if you ask for the canner. So I'll just try to get one lead consistently. Let's try to get the right lead when you're going right. And so I'll get that several times in a row consistently. I don't care where his head is. I don't care what he's doing with his body so much, you know, um, just roll into that left lead or that right lead. And so once I have that criteria met, I'll say, okay, now I'd like you to do it on the rail and I'll work on that until I can get that really well. And then I'll say, okay, now I would like to shorten the time, uh, the trot strides between you trotting and picking up the canner, if that makes sense. So I, I want it to be quick. I'll start wanting it to be quicker and quicker each time to where it's becoming a lot more automatic just to go right into that canner. Then what I'll start doing is I'll start walking my horse and seeing if I can get them to canner out of a walk. And at this point, I'm still not really concerned with where they're shaping their body or if they're hollow backed or round backed or anything like that. I'm just, can you go from walk to canner with very few trot strides in between? And then I'll start doing things like pushing their hip up or lifting their shoulder. And so basically what I'm saying is, you know, break everything down Pick one thing you're going to train for. And this is the important part. Um, you know, know what you're asking for. Uh, when I taught uh, reining lessons to non-pros, I would uh, I would see these uh, people ride around and they're picking up on their horse because they saw the trainer do it. They're picking up on the reins and they're adjusting their horse and they're doing this over and over and over again. Because when you go to a reining, you see a lot of people doing that. They've got their horse pitched away on a loose rein and then they pick up their hands and kind of adjust their horse and put their hand back down. And it's just kind of something that looks like you should be doing. So they're picking up their horse, picking up on their horse, picking up on their horse. And I would stop and ask them, I'm like, okay, what do you want the horse to do when you pick up the reins? And nine times out of 10, they couldn't tell me. They just thought they were supposed to be doing that. So my rule is if I'm picking up on the reins, I have an idea of what I'm trying to get to happen. If you don't have that, then you can't punish your horse for not doing whatever it is you're trying to get him to do correctly. So I hope that makes sense. That's that's what something I have to kind of remind myself to do is, okay, what do I want to happen? And then get that thing to happen and then get the next thing to happen and so on and so forth. Very good. Well, you know, uh, we've had a lot of listener questions here. And uh, if you're ready, we'll ask you one of those. Rachel Rosenthal said, when we go to shows or when she gets excited, our ongoing issue that crops up is coming down out of a right lead canter. I end up having to really haul on her and it just isn't pretty. She's perfect when she's not on her toes. I'm just not sure how to fix it. So that's a really good question about a downward transition out of the caner. Um, so yeah, we usually get I questions about the the into the tr transition, right? Not down from the transition, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good question and a common issue. Um, so I'll give you so, a few pieces of advice that I have from training reining horses because when you show reiners, one of the biggest, most show-stopping maneuvers is the sliding stop. 
Um, so you're taking a horse from a, like, it's a rundown. You turn the corner, you run down the middle of the arena, you say, whoa, and that horse has to hit the dirt and slide like there's no tomorrow. And that's such a tricky maneuver to get because you have to be able to pull the trigger and that horse goes. Because anything else, if they're late or if they're early, it's just going to mess up. They're not going to stop correctly. They're not going to slide. Um, you know, you're going to bomb the maneuver. So, and it's even trickier because you're doing this from a gallop and you're doing this um, in a moment of the pattern where the horse is probably going to be pretty nervous because they're anticipating a lot. And um, so getting that to happen, getting that maneuver to happen, just, you know, right on the money, ex- exactly um, when you ask, ask and with quality is really tricky. So one of the things I would do when you're at home is test out how good your other transitions are. How good is she from a walk to a stop? How good is she from a trot to a walk? And so on. Um, Nine times out of 10, if I have a horse that's not coming down out of the canter very well, it means that I also don't have a good walk walk to halt transition. I also probably don't have a good trot to walk transition. So I'd practice those hundreds and hundreds of times. And this is what I'll do with my rainers because you you only have, a horse only has so many stops, so many of those big, crazy, awesome sliding stops. Uh, otherwise, you're going to wear out your horse. You're going to wear out wear them out mentally and physically. And so I can still train that maneuver, um, but in the lower gates. So I would do that a lot, you know, thousands and thousands of downward transitions from, you know, in, in, your trot and walk and, and halt. Um, and I would do it when your horse least expects it. That's the key because, uh, what we tend to do at home is we help our horses out as much as we can, which there's not necessarily anything wrong with it. We want to help our horse. We want it to look pretty all the time. But when you get to the show pen and their head is up and they're kind of on the bit and, uh, you know, they're already a little nervous and you're already a little nervous, um, they're going to be stronger. You have to count on them being stronger and not listening to you. You, you will have to kind of bank on that a little bit. So what I tend to do with my horses, I'm working on downward transitions, is I ask often and I ask when they least expect it. So they need to know I can ask for it at any time. Um, you know, you don't need to be taking off or uh, taking matters into your own hands. You need to be waiting on me because I could ask you to stop anytime. Um, so I would do that and I would, I would do the same with your, with your downward transitions from the canner. Um, and then when you do, when your horse, uh, you know, let's say you're working from canner to walk. Uh, I, I think that's kind of what you're doing in the show. Um, every time your horse makes that when you're at home and you're training and you ask your horse to come down out of a canner and she does it well, let her stop. Like, let her stop, pitch her away, pet on her, love on her, because I want them to feel just complete comfort and release. And if they're already a little, you know, sweaty and maybe a little bit tired, it's a time for them to catch the air. Um, with my rainers, when I stop them and they stop really well, I'll just uh, pitch them away, sit on, you know, sit on them and check my Facebook for about five minutes. And just let them chill out. I'm not going to mess with you. And and then we'll go on and try it again. And if they give me a phenomenal stop, then I'll get off. I don't care where it is in the ride. 
even if it's five minutes in and they just give me the best stop ever, how can the ride get any better than that? So I'll get off, loosen the girth, put them away and, you know, go again the next day. So I want them to feel as good as they possibly can for listening to me. Um, so those are things that I do quite a bit. Uh, if you have a horse that's particularly strong in the canner, I would also do a lot of when you pick up the canner, don't go very far. Ask for him to come back down. So ask him to canter a couple strides. Now walk a couple strides. Now canter a couple strides. Now walk a couple strides. So you'll get a horse that when they pick up the canter, if you've asked them to come back down hundreds of times, they're going to start cantering with this kind of feeling like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to go? Because I could, I could stop because they're, they think you might ask for it at any time. So hopefully those help you out. Um, but I would say the biggest tips are, uh, lots and lots of downward transitions, all gates. Do it when they least expect it. Um, and then if it's ugly, it's ugly. You're at home. Who's judging you? So, um, don't just wait till it's perfect and ask your horse to come down. You know, if they're, if they're not listening, say, okay, I'm going to ask for it now. Um, because you get to practice that moment in the show pen where they're not going to be listening. You could almost guarantee it on a green horse. And, and that's just part of, that's just part of horse training. Or even what, what you said just a second ago, they're anticipating it. So that's why, you know, doing it at times they're not anticipating it is important too, because they do get to anticipate a lot of the things when they know if, if you're training the same way every time. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is one of those instances where you're going to use your horse's knack for anticipating to your advantage. It's it's a balance because you don't want the horse to be pokey in the lope and not have a very nice canter, but you don't want them to be just cantering forward without listening. So you want them kind of right in that perfect sweet spot where they're ready to do what you're asking, but they're um, they're not uh, falling out of the canter when you don't ask. It's 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 a tightrope, but but that's kind of where you want them. Very good. Well, our title sponsor today is Horsewear. We've had some questions. We've been advertising the Ice Vibe blanket or the Sports Vibe blanket, and we've had some questions on that. And, uh, you know, actually, we're going to get some help by Barrel Racer, world champion Barrel Racer. Mary Walker uses them all the time. So we're going to hear from her uh, for a couple minutes, and then we're coming back to Courtney, who has questions about working in hand with a baby horse. So, and I know Jamie's doing that right now with her baby horse and uh, learning what it's like to get run over by a little tank. So we're going to be back <laughs> in just, and we've all had that happen. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. I'm Mary Walker, and this is my horse latte, and this is the Sports Vibe Massage Therapy Blanket. The Sports Vibe Blanket is a massage blanket. It is there to massage the horse. We go get our massages, and they need theirs. People ask me, they go, how do you use all that stuff? And I said, oh, my gosh, you just push the buttons, and you go, and it's great. You know, you don't have to worry about anything. Just go. They automatically turn off at the designated time. You don't have to worry a bit about overdoing anything. When you go back and it's turned off, you take it off. This is the Sports Vibe Blanket. I use it regularly. I use it for preparation for an event, and I also use it as uh, preventative after an event where he has uh, stressed a little bit for his muscles. It has uh, two parts to it. It has the hood part, and which comes off very easily with Velcro, and then it has the back part. They have uh, eight panels in it. There's two in the neck that come down on both sides. There's two on the shoulders, one on this side, one on the other side. 
there's one that goes down each uh, loin of his back, and then there's one on each side that come down the hindquarters. Um, this also is put together with great elastic underneath and in the front to actually give um, more body. See, it, it stretches like that, so you hook it to where it conforms to their body. You don't want it too tight, but you do want it snug where it will come down on their body. So you can move the panels anywhere you want on the blanket per area that you probably would like to have massaged. These are the panels. The panels are great. Always be sure you put the panel to the smooth side to the horse's body. And then you just insert the panel back like this. It comes a little Velcro. You Velcro it down. That panel's not going anywhere. And you put it right back. You open up the zipper and you push the battery and it goes on. I advise that you would do four at a time. So if you wanted to do the back, you'd do the two panels back here and the two rear ends and it comes with this battery right here. And so that will activate this part of the blanket. The, um, and then after that's finished, you can use the, the hood part and activate that battery and vibrate the neck. This is a great, great blanket. And uh, like I say, it's very, very lightweight. It doesn't weigh anything. It's not a heavy blanket that they're gonna sweat profusely in. Uh, some other products I have used have caused a lot of sweating. And, and this, it doesn't because it is lightweight and it doesn't, um, it is, it's not real hot. It's a great massage blanket and I think it's one of the greatest products I've ever used. And you can find those. Just go to sportsvibe.com. That's sports with a Z at the end, vibe.com. And you can see more demonstrations. And there's a ton of professional riders that use these all over the world. Uh, but you can see exactly how it works at sportsvibe.com. Well, let's get we – are, we are minus our producer Jennifer today. So we're going to be calling people live. So let's give Courtney a call, who's one of our terrific auditors. She's been on the show before. So uh, she has a question she wants to talk to Mary about. And Mary, are you back with us? I'm back. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm great. How are y'all? Okay. Are you on speaker? If you are, we need you to come off of speaker. I am. Hold yeah. on one second. Yeah, we can barely hear you. We want to hear you, Courtney. Can you hear me any better now? That's better. Now, Mary yeah. probably doesn't know that the last time Courtney was on, she was looking for a boyfriend. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> we, I can't help you there. Yeah, yeah. I, she, Mary doesn't have one either. So we're not going to do that yeah, today. No one can help me. No one can help me. Seven cats at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I feel your pain. Courtney has like 12 <laughs> dogs. Mary has 18 cats and 1,000 animals. You're both doomed. I'm just saying right there. So uh, let's get to something we can handle, and that is your question, Courtney, for Mary. First of all, tell us about the horse that you have the question about. Yeah, so my horse is actually a rescue horse. Um, he was found running wild in East Tennessee. Um, he's about nine months old now. I got him around six or seven months old, so I haven't had him too awful long. Um, but he's actually coming along really, really well. I'm pretty impressed with his progress. Um, he doesn't try to run over me. He does lead and back up and now he gets in the trailer like a champion. 
Um, so he's, he's pretty well trained despite the fact that he had no training other than like survival of the fittest out in the wild. Oh, Mary, you still there? I'm still here. Okay. Is everybody else? Still- yeah. Did we lose her? No, we're good. Did you hear the question? <laughs> I haven't. Heard I the did. Yet. Okay. Okay. I was. I, I'm reading the question. I'm like, I don't think she's gotten to that part. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that yet. Okay. <laughs> um. So my question now is, I'm in the process of teaching him to move his shoulders over and just his shoulders, not his whole body. Um, so we're working on pivot turns, um, I think is the correct terminology. I'm not a Western person. Um, so I want him to plant his outside hind foot and spin around it um, like other horses. Um, so I'll get him to cross over with his front legs one time. And I started using clicker training. So I'll click and I'll treat for that. Um, and then like I can do it singularly. But if I try to ask him for two steps at a time, he will cross over both times. But the second time, he'll actually swing his rear end around. Um, and I just, I don't know how to make him stop moving his hind end. Um, that's a really, really good question. And it's one of the most common problems, both in in-hand training and riding, when it comes to do that same maneuver under saddle. Sure. And um, when I would teach... Yeah, when I would teach groundwork clinics, that was the hardest thing for me to teach people. It's just it's just an awkward, it's like trying to write with your left hand. It's just an awkward thing to teach. Um, and, you know, for the horses, it's awkward, too. Oh, not sure what that was. Are you still there? Are you still there, Courtney? I'm still I'm here. here. Okay, we just got a lot of noise in there. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was me. Okay. Um, so, and it's awkward for the horse as well. You know, naturally a lot of horses, um, if you watch them kind of steer around, they'll plant their front end and kind of whip their butt around like a boat rudder. And, uh, so, you know, you have to kind of recondition them to, to sit on their haunches more and use their shoulder more. Um, so, uh, my advice for that is weird. It's don't worry about the hind end, uh, which seems counterintuitive. Because that's the part we're having problems with, and we want that part to stay still. But what the hind end is doing is a symptom of what's not happening in the front end, which is their shoulder is stiff and their shoulder's not freed up. So um, I had a, a you know a reigning trainer tell me it was the guy I was working for. I was having a heck of a time riding this colt and teaching it a reigning spin. And you you want the same thing to happen. You actually want them to plant in most events. You want them to plant the inside. Uh, inside hind foot and spin around that. Um, and I was just getting after this horse and we were fighting each other. And this, you know, this guy stopped me and he said, don't worry about what the hind end does. He said, when I train rainers, I, I don't care about it for about a year. I, I worry about the front end. The hind end will take care of itself. And at first that was really weird to hear because I was so focused on this body part that wasn't doing what I wanted that I wasn't concentrating on on the shoulder. So what I will do with a horse in hand, instead of trying to get them to plant a foot and and do this pivot around that hind end kind of at a standstill, that's pretty difficult. What I'll do instead is I'll start by leading them and working on outside turns. So I will lead them forward. So let's say I want them to pivot away from me. So they'll move their shoulder to their right. Uh, 
I'll lead him around and then I'll ask him to push that shoulder away and I'll just get that one step. And um, you might have to get more out in front of them. If you can get more out in front of their nose, you have more leverage and they seem to swing away from you uh, much more easily. Um, if I need to add pressure to a horse to get them to move their shoulder away, I won't often tap their shoulder because that's a big, meaty, muscly body part. It's not sensitive. Um, I will put more pressure toward the upper part of their neck. So I'll kind of do a little bit of, uh, you know, I might vibrate my hand a little bit. I might give them a little tap with a crop. Um, I may even stretch my crop way out in front of their nose and very, very lightly. You don't want to be harsh. Tap their nose. And usually you, you kind of give them just a little tink in the nose. They go, whoa, and they'll step over much more freely. You have to be careful with that. You don't you don't want to be whacking your horse in the face. Um, but it's just it's just a light tap. They're very sensitive there. Um, and then any kind of improvement that you get. Uh, so let's say they swing their shoulder over, then I'll walk off. I like to walk my horses out of a turnaround for a long time before I ask them just to stop and pivot. Um, and so once I get that one step then I'll ask for two. And again, I don't, I don't care about their hind end. We're, we're really still walking forward in a circle at this point and just getting them to swing their shoulder every so often. And then I'll start getting more and more and more steps. And I don't care so much about the hind end. I don't care if, I don't care if they stop or pivot or anything like that. All I care about is how freely do you move your shoulders? And I get one thing at a at the time. This is one of those maneuvers where if it seems like if your horse senses that you're asking them to pivot, they'll get a little bit um, uh, pushy about it and they'll actually kind of rebel by planting their front end in the ground and swinging their butt around wildly. Uh, so, so I kind of just sneak it on them every day. I'll, you know, every day I'll say, hey, can you give me like three or four steps where you just move your shoulder around? Okay, great. And then I'll just work on something else. And you don't want to overdo it because the more tired they get, the more they'll want to plant that front end and swing their butt around. And so I, I would just kind of have this lengthy timeline you're going to allow your, yourself to, to get this done. And you'll find that the more that uh, that horse frees up its shoulder, the you, you'll be able to kind of spiral down and tighten up your circle until they're not walking forward and around so much anymore. And it's going to start to resemble a pivot. I would be happy if within a few weeks um, or even a few months, you know, just take your time with it. Act like you have all the time in the world. I can get my horse to keep their hind end in a small circle of space. So instead of getting that pivot foot to happen right away, just kind of pick an area, um, you know, like maybe the size of a kitchen table. If they can keep their hind feet in that area while they're swinging their shoulder around, great. And then shrink it down to a hula hoop. Imagine that you put a, a big hula hoop on the ground. If they can keep their hind end in that hula hoop without swinging around too crazy, then we're doing pretty good. And then eventually it's going to start happening to where they plant that pivot foot all on their own. I usually don't even look at the foot. Um, you know, one day it just happens and it happens because I do it really slow and I'm focusing more on how free I can get that shoulder to move. Awesome. That's super helpful. Um, I guess I do try to get ahead of everything I want. I think that's true of all of us. 
about everything. And you, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like I said earlier, we tend to have the finished product in our head, and we try to teach that first. Um, so, you know, it's it's like, um, you know, if we if we're working on jumping horses to tell the horse, okay, your first jump is going to be a combination of oxers or whatever. I don't know. At 12 feet. But yeah. we're going to do Grand Prix today. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, you've got like one stride in between each jump and you, sh- you, sh- you got this, you should get it perfect. Well, no, we're going to put ground poles down and we're going to teach them how to pick up their feet over ground poles. And we're going to, we're going to build on it and build on it until they can do the more difficult combinations. And so it's the same thing with every maneuver. And at first it might, feel tedious and like you're never going to get it done but if you act like you have all the time in the world and you only need to get it a little bit better every day it'll happen quicker than you know it and my favorite saying when it comes to horse training is if you get one percent better every day where are you going to be after a hundred days math would dictate you're going to be a hundred percent better yeah (laughs) (laughs) well Courtney anything else any other questions um, I think that's it for today, but I'm sure I'll come up with more. <laughs> All right, good. Well, we appreciate you uh, calling in today and asking Mary. Thank you so much. And thank you for being an auditor. Thank you guys so much for having me. And I love being an auditor. Everyone should do it. And if you're not an auditor, uh, Courtney, you would tell everybody to become one, right? Absolutely. It is by far the best thing I've ever done. There you go. And it's for a And it's for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that by going to horseradionetwork.com and clicking on the auditor uh, on the auditor banner on the right side of the page. Mary's an auditor too. She's in there hanging out all the time, posting uh, goat pictures. So thank you, Courtney. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. All right, bye. You know what I was going to talk about is the Total Saddle Fitch Shoulder Relief Cinch, one of the most popular cinches on the market today. And the reason is, uh, well, there's a couple reasons. One is shoulder freedom. The intelligent design allows for a full range of shoulder motion under saddle without interference from the tree. And that's because of the way it's cut. It has cutaways in the cinch that move it away from the horse's elbow for additional comfort. And it also kind of stops that saddle from riding where it shouldn't. Uh, It has removable washable liners. And we talked about this. Last time, Mary likes to have different liners for different horses. They have neoprene, fleece, felt liner options. You can remove them. You can wash them. That's kind of nice. But I know that I was talking to one of our friends, Shorty, and she, we were talking about this, and she uses, they use different liners, but they like to use the same same cinch all day because, you know, getting on the horses. And this just makes it easy to change about depending on what your horse works best with. It has stainless steel roller buckles which makes tightening a breeze. And the really cool thing, we don't talk about this too often with Total Saddle Fit, is there's a 110% money-back promise. So if you're not satisfied with your cinch within 30 days, you send it back, he will actually send you a 110% refund to help cover your shipping too. So you can't go wrong. I mean, it's basically a a free 30-day trial, and if you're not happy in any way, just send it back, and he'll give you your money back. And you can find all of that at totalsaddlefit.com. I highly recommend going over and looking at the graphics or explain it very well, and then there's also some videos over there that explain it uh, too. So totalsaddlefit.com. This is uh, recent Philip on the Dressage Show. They use it for... All the horses all day long. They love the English version, so it's available in English and also as a cinch. 
Well, do you want to handle another question? Yes, let's do it. All right. Well, I'm going to try to get something here a little different. Um, Okay, Michaela says, tips for a bulky horse. That doesn't mean fat. I think she means the other bulky. Uh, My new mare loves to jump, supposedly, and is supposedly (laughs) a beast on cross-country. Apparently, Michaela hasn't found that. She is, she, but she's lazy for flat work, and I want her, I want her to like it rather than me constantly tapping her with the whip to get her moving forward. So we have a lazy dressage uh, eventer who hates dressage but loves to run and jump. And by the way, that describes about, what, 95% of the event horses out there. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> um, and my Mustang, actually, uh, although she also hates jumping. So yep. she, she doesn't like most. Yeah, I was just going to say your Mustang doesn't like <laughs> much. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a little cantankerous, but I love her. That's why I love her. Um, so, yeah, I, I have the same issue with her. And I get into this vicious cycle of me just feeling like I'm nagging her to death. And I've always got my heels in her or I'm having to tap her with my rein. Um, so with these horses... I have found out the more breaks you can give them, the better. Um, So, uh, you know, I talk about transitions a lot. I really, really work on instead of just going around and trotting and trotting and trotting and trotting or cantering and cantering, you know, I I do that. I'll stay in a gate for for long periods of time, but I really, really like to work those transitions. So for a horse um, that was like Rachel's where the horse is really strong and wants to go forward and it's hard to get to come back down. We do a lot of those downward transitions for a horse that's a bit the opposite and doesn't really want to go. I'll really work a lot on upward, up, upward transitions. So uh, nine times out of 10, if I can't keep a horse in a trot, usually my problem lies in getting them to pick up the trot to begin with. Um, So I'll work a lot on walk to trot. And um, this is where I get a little Western, so to speak. I will ask my horse very nicely, as nice as possible, giving the cue that I want them to respond to. I'll give them a second or two, and then I'll say, okay, now you got to go. And I will use tons of energy. I will make it look as ugly as possible. Uh, And when I say ugly, I mean, I'm not wailing on them, but I'll just like really, you know, lift my legs off their side and kind of flap them on their side. And I really want to get them to hustle. And, uh, you know, I imagine... Like we're chasing a cow and the cow is just taking off and we've got to go get that cow right now. And I will do whatever it takes to get them to pick up that trot now. Now, once they get the trot, I'll release everything and I might even let them stop if it's a particularly lazy horse. I'll leave them alone. I'll say, good. That's what I wanted. Um, So with a lazier horse, anytime you get a little spark of try in them. You know, you need to get back to them and say, oh, my, you treat it like it's the greatest thing they've ever done. Like, oh, my gosh, you picked up a trot. That's wonderful. Um, Those horses need that kind of big encouragement for trying uh, because you're trying to build this enthusiasm and trying them. If I have a horse that's pokey in the trot and I kick and kick and kick and kick and they finally trot. And then I keep kicking and kicking and kicking once they're in the trot. And then I kick some more and kick some more and kick some more and make them trot for 20 minutes. That horse is saying to himself, well, gosh darn it, I picked up the trot and I'm still getting kicked on. 
this is, you know, uh, why bother? I'm just going to ignore your legs from now on because it doesn't matter what I do. Um, so you need to be really sensitive to if, even if it's not the amount of try you're wanting, if they all of a sudden are like, okay, I'll, I'll pick up the trot, um, then reward them. Say, oh my gosh, that, you know, treat it like, it's amazing and give them lots of breaks. Um, then, you know, later on you'll be able to build stamina and ask them to hold the trot for longer. But I would work on those horses, tons of upward transitions from uh, halt to walk, walk to trot, trot to canter. And anytime they roll into that transition, especially if they roll into it really well, um, I'll stop everything, relax, pitch them away, pet on them, check Facebook for a few minutes and go again. Once I can get to that upward transition to happen without me nagging, nagging, nagging them into it, once I get it to where, okay, um, I asked you nice and I didn't have to go crazy to get you to trot when they respond to the, my nice calm cue that I give them initially um, and I can get that to happen consistently, then I'll start thinking about, all right, let's trot for a few strides before we quit. Okay, let's trot for one lap around the arena, now two laps, and build so on and so forth. So this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. Pick one thing you want to happen, get that one thing to happen consistently, then add to it. So if our goal is to have a flawless dressage test without me having to kick my horse every stride or use that crop too heavily, I'm going to have to break that down, aren't I, to... Uh, I start with those transitions and then I'll start getting a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, so, you know, the, your really lazy horses, sometimes you have to go way, 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 way low in your expectations just for a little bit, get something out of them, get some enthusiasm, some try, reward them big time for it. Lots of breaks, lots of pets, and then build from there. Very good. We have time for one more before we get our next guest on, and I like this one. And uh, are you a Big Bang fan, by the way, Big Bang Theory? You know, I should be, but I've never gotten around to watching it. <sighs> You're a geek like me. You should be into I that. Know. Jeez. Well, D- Denise uh, asked yeah, this. Okay. <laughs> Our guest wrangler, Denise, says Jennifer and I... We're not going to have a Big Bang debate. No, no, we're not. Because uh, Jamie hates it and we love it. So, I mean, it's... uh, So, but Denise says in the Big Bang... I do share the clicker training tip. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Denise uh, and Big Bang listeners will get this. She says, how about some fun with flags? How to acclimate a horse who can't seem to get used to flags. A horse that every time you bring them out acts like it's the first time he's ever seen them. Oh, that is a great question. And I'm not sure if you mean flag. I'm not sure like she means like the, the American flag or <laughs> like a flag on a stick. Yeah, like I don't know. Carrying a flag yeah. in a grand entry <laughs> or if it's the kind of training flag that like if anyone's watched the Buck Brandeman movie, you'll have yes. seen him use that. It's a it's a piece of cloth at the end of a whip like stick. Yeah. Um, in it's... any case, I would probably tackle it the same way, which is using one of those training flags. If you don't have, um, you know, some of those trainers really, really like their flags and the price reflects that. (laughs) If you don't have one of those fancy flags that apparently was made by elves or something, I don't know. um, You can get a great quality item at a little place called Walmart um, in the form of a Walmart plastic bag and tie it to the end of your whip or training stick. Um, If you do use it, you need to um, 
rip a hole in the bottom of the bag so it doesn't catch a lot of air. Um, or you can use a bandana, just anything that kind of has some flappiness to it. Um, now, the, I, I use this device. I have a training flag of my own. Um, I use it with every single horse. In fact, when I was up in Washington, um, I got a horse in that I was meant to evaluate for the owner who had just bought him and just wanted to get to know him. Uh, so this horse is pretty broke. It's supposed to have been there, done that. Um, I do the flag test on every horse. I don't care what you tell me the horse knows. And if they don't pass it the first go, I don't get on. Um, and this is something not everyone does, but everyone has their own quirks and things they like to make sure a horse knows. I want to make sure I can move a flag around my horse and they don't kill me. Um, because if they can handle that with ease, then a rider's not going to be so bad. We're, we're much less scary by comparison. Um, so... When you use this flag, what I, what I typically do, I will, I will warn anyone who wants to try this, do not put it up to your horse's nose. Um, you will get struck. I don't care how broke your horse is. Uh, don't touch their belly. Don't touch their legs. Don't touch their face. And don't pass it under, their, under your lead rope. Like if you're wanting to switch hands, don't pass it in front of your horse in that little blind spot directly in front of them. Those are my don'ts. Eventually, I will get them to where I can touch them anywhere I want with that flag and they will not freak out. But on any horse, no matter how calm and gentle that horse usually is, be careful. Be careful where you put that flag. You'll get a horse that's just lovely normally. Um, that might kick that flag out of your hands before you've in no way hit you. So, you know, it's it's a little risky, but be careful. Use common sense. Okay, that said... What I will do is I will use the energy of that flag and I will actually work with the horse's fear of that flag to move their feet. So most horses are going to react to it. Um, I like to work at the end of at least at least a 10 foot long lead rope, probably not a lunge line. So somewhere between really 12 to 14 feet is a good size lead rope. And I will use the flag to move that horse around. And as the horse moves around, I kind of keep that flag in motion at all times. Um, I don't let the horse run around in crazy circles. I will let them go forward a few steps before I use the flag and my halter to push their hindquarters away and get them to face me. Then I'll switch directions. When I switch directions, I'll pass the flag up and over that lead rope and not under because, again, there's that kind of little vulnerable blind spot right in front of them. And if they hear something flap over there, they might you know, get a little kooky before you know what hits you. So I'll switch directions, ask them to go the other way, and then ask them to yield the hindquarters. So I'm going to do lots and lots of changes of directions. Um, and again, as I do this, I'm going to keep kind of keep the flag in motion. I'm just going to move the horse forward and around, yield the hindquarters, go the other way. Forward and around, yield the hindquarters, go the other way. And some horses are quite reactive to this initially, and I just I just kind of keep that flag going at that same amount of energy. Um, most of the time, usually within a session, the horse realizes, well, that flag's not so bad. And they start to calm down. They realize they're making, you know, a mountain out of a molehill. And they don't need to be quite so wacky as they move around. Um, I will find a spot. And again, I use common sense, use my judgment, use my experience to start working on touching with the flag. And usually the first body part I touch is up over the horse's back. It's a less sensitive area. It's not in an area where I'm likely to get struck or kicked. 
um, and they can usually handle it fairly well. And so then I work on moving the horse with the flag, but also touching them with the flag. And I do this, um, I just work on this a little bit every day until eventually I can touch the horse all over with the flag and I can move the flag around them with quite a bit of energy. And they just, instead of speeding up or running off, they just kind of walk around like it's the most boring thing in the world. That's really hard to explain over the radio. Um, so there are there are some really great resources on how to do this. I'd say the best one, if I'm going to plug another trainer, is um, check out Buck Brandman's Groundwork video or DVD for how to work with the flag because he's he's one of those guys who also uses it quite a bit in his program, and and he's got a really good take on it. Very good. Well, let's head off to our next guest. We're going to call him live on the air here, and his name is Robert Hartley. He's president of the American Stock Horse Association. We'll try and get him on here. The American Stock Horse Association has many different types of events. Maybe we can learn about those today. Hello, is this Robert? It is. Hey, Robert, you have Mary Kitzmiller and Glenn here on the Horses in the Morning Show, and you are on live with us right now. Thank you for joining us. Oh, perfect. We appreciate you stopping by, and uh, I was just on the website checking out all the different things that you guys do, and I don't know that we've ever really talked about the American Stock Horse Association, so we appreciate you being here. Oh, you bet. Okay, Mary, all yours. Um, okay, okay. Hey, uh, so we have a lot of people listening who are all sorts of different disciplines, English and Western. And uh, there's, so there might be some people who haven't heard of you guys before. So could you give us, in a nutshell, what is the American Stock Horse Association? The American Stock Horse Association was started uh, to bring back the idea of the versatile or all-around horse. Uh, we run four classes. The stock horse pleasure, which isn't your typical pleasure class. We're actually wanting to see these horses move. They have to do an extended gait. It's done one horse at a time. And we put a lot of emphasis on the transition along with the gait itself. Um, with that, we do stock horse trail, uh, the stock horse reining, and working cow horse. We run three different levels in the cow horse. We have for the novice and youth, uh, the boxing, where they just work the cow on one end of the arena. Then for the green horse and limited non-pro, they actually do a double-ended boxing where they'll work the cow on one end, drive it down the fence, and then box it on the other, which is a great stair step. Um, as far as working a cow, building your confidence and practicing going down the fence with the cow, but not actually having to step in front of it and turn it. And then our non-pro and open riders do the full cow horse pattern where they box it, turn it on the fence, and then bring it to the center. And at that point, they have an option. They can either circle that cow once each way, or they can rope it and stop it. So those, that's, that's what, you know, we got several things that are unique with us and that's just kind of a, in, in a nutshell. Um, I think I, I read on your website that you guys kind of, uh, this 
came out of seeing kind of an issue with there being too much emphasis on special specialization in the horse industry. And I think we're, we're kind of coming out of that a little bit now with organizations like yours where um, it's, it's getting a horse that is not just bred and trained to do Western pleasure, not just bred and trained to be a reigning horse and nothing else, but a horse that's just a really good all around horse. And I think that, it's really, really neat. Um, that said, so your name is American Stock Horse Association. Do I have to have a stock type horse to compete? Does it have to be a quarter horse? Uh, you know, it doesn't. We are open to all breeds. Um, we have Arabs that show with us, um, Mustangs. We actually have a, an incentive pro- program through the Mustang Heritage Foundation where we do, do awards for the, for the high point earner um, that's a Mustang horse uh you know so we're you know we anybody can come compete we got ponies um we actually have some uh uh drum horses that come and show with us up here in the northwest so you know any anybody can come and we're actually looking at uh bringing mules in as well we got a large interest interest from uh mule owners that are wanting to come and show with us so we may be changing our rules to bring mules in as well very cool because i show mules and that is one of you know these these stock type events that are coming up um a few of them don't allow mules and it's kind of really sad because they're really really perfect perfect animals for this event so i would love to see that change myself (laughs) yeah and that that's in our rule book and and i haven't really ever been able to get an answer as to why that's there um, so, you know, we are, we've offered some meal classes as ancillary classes up here in, in Oregon. Um, we're getting a good response from it. So, uh, hopefully this year we can get that changed and, and have, give meals a place to come show to the show as well. That's one of those rules that was put in 30 years ago and nobody knows why. Every, yeah. <laughs> Usually, because the mule yeah, come in and beat everybody. Yeah, that's right. Nine <laughs> they want to be embarrassed. The show has a random weird mule rule. because the mule came in and won everything. It's so awesome. <laughs> now, do you have so, to compete? We do, we do got some. But we won't make this. We won't make this a mule uh, a mule show. So I got a question. So you got the pleasure, the reigning, the trail, and the working cow. Do you have to compete in all four? Is this kind of like you have to prove yourself in all four? Or can you do one or the other? Um, you can you can show in one class if you like. Now you know again our emphasis is on that versatile horse. So to be eligible for the all around award, you you do need to show in all four classes. Okay. Um, you know, and our our mission statement is to actually you know is to help people ride a better horse um, to get you and your horse better. And and if that needs to be starting out in the pleasure. You know, we're, that's our cornerstone class. That's the foundation of everything else you're going to do. And we can build you up from there. Um, you know, and one of the things that, that is unique that's- about us is when, when you put on an ASHA event, we require an educational portion to that event, um, which means a clinic. Uh, so up here in the Northwest, where, where we've started our affiliate up here, We'll run as many as 75 to 100 people through our clinics on Friday, the day before we, we show. And we really work at keeping our emphasis on the clinics and, and not so much on the show. You know, the show's the fun portion of it. It's a, a place where you can come gauge how much you've, you've improved, 
but that's not our emphasis. Our emphasis is on getting you and your horse better than, than when you started. And that's what I love about these types of events. And, and I do love, I like that the emphasis is on a versatile horse, but, um, when I first started doing similar events, my big fear was, well, I don't have cows and I've never worked cows, but it looks like a lot of fun. So if you're not sure about, you know, maybe working the cow just yet, you can you can enter the trail and the raining and, and the pleasure and then build your confidence from there and go. And right. something else that I think is really unique is that clinic clinic aspect so you do the clinic the day before how does how does the format of, format of that clinic go who do you hire to, to teach the clinic and and how does that go for people who are interested uh you know we've, we've kind of thought outside the box a little bit as we as we put this together and it's really been successful because we're really oriented towards those entry-level people you know as as an industry that that's probably one of our our most crucial areas right now is bringing new people into the show world, into the horse industry. And when you keep it oriented towards those entry level people, it helps bring those in. And we, you know, we offer all four classes in our clinic. We keep it really affordable to encourage people to come try it. Um, and if they don't have access to a cow, they, they can come and then get in on our clinics and they'll get to work a cow. They'll get some help with it. And, you know, we focus on our rules and our judging as well when we're doing those clinics to help those people understand what it is judges are looking for, what all the rules, you know, entail. Um, you know, and our rules are set up to encourage those people. We want to score them for what they can do, not necessarily hurt them for what they can't do. Um, you know, and some one of the, the side effects I've seen of this we get a lot of people come and sign up for the clinic on Friday that have no real intention of staying and showing. And by the end of the, the clinic day on Friday, they're over at the office and they're signing up for their first class, you know, and, and we run that pleasure class first. Um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, we have actual signs in the arena to where you, so where you know where to make your transitions and what transition you're going to. And, you know, it, it really entices them to go try it. And, and once they get through it, then generally they're back at the office signing up for the pleasure or for the trail and so forth. And, and by the end of the weekend, they're going, this, this, is, this is great. This is, you know, I've always wanted to show, never had a spot to come, come try it. And, you know, they're coming back, banging on your door, wanting to show again at their, your next event. Wow. Um, I know too. Here in Ocala, they've been—they're really good. And I don't sure I remember the name of the farm, but they're really good about doing uh, about doing cow uh, things that anybody can come to. You can come and you can right. work a cow, and they'll help you out. And that is becoming so popular now with trail riders that have never tried it before. English riders—I I can't tell you how many of my friends have went and done it and just had a blast. And I think. I think we are seeing a little bit more crossover on English Western side too. And working cows is something that I think everybody kind of wants to do, even if you're an inventor or dressage rider. It just seems like something fun. It, you know, yeah, you know, everyone wants to go be a cowboy. You know, so that that cow event, you know, it, it draws a lot of people to it. And and with our clinics, one of the things that we we try to do, and we're trying to keep our show producers doing 
you know, when, as far as a clinician, go find your local, your local clinicians, you know, that, that good horseman that's there in, in your area, that's, that's training horses and doing lessons, um, and bring them in and, and have them be clinicians. And, and what that does is that also puts these new people coming in, in contact with someone they can go get help from on a local basis. You know, these, these name brand trainers are great to come in and, and get people excited and give them information. But once they leave, there's no place for these people to go get help. They don't, you know, and that's part of our, our, one of our issues with the horse industry is a lot of times these, these entry level people don't know who to go get help from. Well, yeah, they don't know and, what they don't and know and that's hard, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know, it's expensive to go try that through trial and error and go take lessons from 10 different people, um, you know, and to, to find someone that you like. So when we run our clinics, we run a minimum of eight clinicians, um, two per arena. We run all four, four classes at the same time in different arenas. So through the course of the day, they're getting introduced to eight potential trainers that they can go get help from. Um, you know, and we're always on the lookout for that, for that next, next person to bring in as a, as a clinician. And we, you know, we've gone through a number of people, um, you know, and, and we, we very seldom find someone that doesn't work. You know, there's, there's a lot of good local horsemen in, in the area and it's true across the country. You just have to kind of go find them and bring, you know, invite them to come in and participate and, and get their knowledge and introduce them to people. Very good. I think that's what's Go ahead. really, Go ahead. oh, yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. Okay. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I think that's what's really unique about this event uh, that's that's coming up and, and kind of the mood of the horse industry. I, I think we're, you, you know, in the past, you had a lot of people that were really intimidated about wanting to show in a specialized event because it is a lot of money to get into. Uh, it is a very is. expensive game of trial and error. Yeah. And, and you feel like, you, well, I got to go to such and such trainer if I want to be any good or if I want to do cow work, I've got to invest all this money in a cow horse. Um, and I think you have people that have either a been in that very specialized sector of the horse industry and are, you know, a little burnout, out, but don't want to give up showing. Um, and they want to take their horse who was normally an English horse, or he was a Western pleasure horse, or he was a rainer and, you know, do something fun for both them and the horse. And then you've got a lot of people who are, they might've been just recreational trail riders in the past and they've really expanded their skill level and they want a place to go prove that, uh, Right. Without the worry, that was my first worry with the stock horses. I thought, oh my gosh, am I going to be competing against like snaffle bit futurity guys? And yeah, <laughs> you'll find those guys there. It can be that competitive, but there's also lots of uh, the the very first stock horse show I went to. Um, I saw people who were clearly barrel racers who were there having fun showing, um, and you know just took their little barrel horse and the cow horse and did great. And I thought, okay, I can do this. This is going to work. I'm not going to get embarrassed. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. And that we, we see that with our demographics as far as, as who we get coming to our shows and, and we run the gambit on that, you know, and, and the, the, the single common denominator is, is everyone's there to enjoy their horse. Everyone's passionate about their horse and everyone's there to try to get better. 
And, you know, that's, that's, that's the single common denominator with everyone. You know, other than that, we, we get, uh, first time exhibitors. We have some people that have, have gone and showed and, and been successful in other avenues and at coming and showing. Um, we got, uh, the parents, of that have packed their kid around the country showing horses for years. Their kids gone off to school. The horse is sitting at home doing nothing. And mom and mom or dad decide they want to go try their hand at showing. Um, we got a lot of baby boomers that, that are now, you know, that are, that are stepping into retirement that are wanting to go show that haven't had time in the past to do it. Um, uh, a big youth program, um, because of the clinics, um, it, it's really enticing to bring, youth in and get them some help um you know and i think one of the things that really um is is unique about us is these four classes are such a leveling agent um on the all-around side of it that versatile side and when you look at the results you know it runs the gambit as well as far as who no one no single discipline has an advantage here um you know, we see people coming in with that rain or cow horse that, you know, they do quite well in the raining and cow horse. They might struggle a little bit in the pleasure or trail or that pleasure or trail horse that comes in and, and is really strong in those two classes and maybe struggles a little bit in the raining or cow horse. So it, it does keep those results mixed up. Doesn't necessarily give anyone an edge over someone else. Uh, you know, another discipline and, and the person that ends up getting that all around is the person that wants to put the time and effort in to really work on that class that they're not strong in. So it does encourage them to go home and, and improve. Well, we're running out of time, but I want everybody to know the website. It's AmericanStockHorse.org is the website you go to. It's pretty inclusive. It has uh, all the information on there and the calendar, just everything's on there. We appreciate you stopping by and also for offering something that is inclusive uh, to to well, to people. And- it's AmericanStockHorse.org is the website. Thank you so much, Robert. Well, uh, Mary, that's about it for today's show. We're, we apologize to all the questions we didn't get to. There was quite a few of them, but uh, we'll, we'll, we're here every month, right? So we'll get back to some of them next month. Uh, don't forget to get your really bad ads in to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Send her an email. Remember to copy the entire ad and paste it in the email. Don't just put a link because that uh, the links are usually dead by the time we get to them because they're really bad ads and they go away. And uh, we have some great prizes this month, so you make make sure you do that. And Mary, you are also posting uh, things about products, and I just got a message from one of the listeners, actually one of the auditors, saying, where can we buy Mary's stuff? Is she selling it online yet? TroublemakerTradingCompany.com. That's the little joint venture my mom and I are doing and uh, we have a few products up there and I'm adding more today. Uh, we're the most ADD people on the yeah. planet. So we got brand new ideas popping up every day. <laughs> the problem I've, I've always had with Mary is getting her to focus enough to actually sell them. So we're, we're working on that. Um, I know most of 
of the time it's just me playing with lasers and, yeah, and stuff and around just getting and... really excited about something I made. Well, speaking of which, I need to, <laughs> before we go we, after the show today, hang on, because I need to order uh, two things. So <laughs> uh, so before we go, and oh, cool. wh- wh- what is it called again? Trouble? Troublemaker TroublemakerTradingCompany.com. Well, thank you very much, Mary. If you want to hear all of Mary's past episodes, just go to HorsesInTheMorning.com and search for Mary Kitzmiller or bring up all her past episodes. You can go back and take a listen. You know, training information is training information. It's not timely. So, uh, what you know, a tip she gave two years ago still applies. So you can go back and listen to all the past episodes. If you're a brand new listener, I highly advise you to do that. The best way to do that is to go on uh, go on the website at horsesinthemorning.com. iTunes only carries, I got this question before on Horses in the Morning, iTunes only carries 100 episodes. That's the most you can have. So, you, you know, we've done, we're up to, oh, what, almost 1,800 episodes. So most of our back catalog is only available on the website. Just go there, hit play, or you could, there's a download button. You can download the episode to your phone, either way. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. All right, everybody, take care. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning on Horses in the Morning at 9 a.m. Eastern.